part of our new series we just started uh, last week. Uh, if you were here last week, you heard Lisa, Lisa Dale's testimony uh, of how God's given her a second chance and all the, the trials of her young life, um, her, her uh, involvement with her church uh, early, and then, then she fell away from that, and God has, has rescued her back and called her back to himself. And next week you'll hear another testimony from our congregation uh, of people who God's given second chances to because we believe with all our heart and uh, this series is based on sort of a chip on my shoulder that I get sometimes. Um, there's a lot of people in our culture that give God a very bad rap. There's a lot of people that believe our God, my Savior, Jesus Christ, and His Father, God the Father, are cruel and harsh and mean and judgmental. And uh, you get all this stuff in the news that people don't want anything to do with Christianity because of how cruel God is. And I just want you to understand, 1 John 4 says this, God is love. God is love. And at the very heart of God Himself is love. It's actually, a, a, grammatically, it means that God loves us in such a way, He loves us in such a way that His very character is love and He can't do anything but love us. That is the testimony in the heart of God. And so when you're looking at this call of Matthew that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 9, I just want you to start with that concept that God is love. He's not a harsh God or a cruel God or a mean God. He's a loving God. Now, most Christians here, we kind of acknowledge that. So I'm really not teaching you something new, but I'm trying, I really want to load your, load you up with some ammunition in this series, God of Second Chances. I want you to be able to, to correspond and communicate with people uh, through your social medias and all that stuff where people just slam God. I want you to be able to come back and go, that is not my God. I don't know where you got that concept, but it's not even in the Scriptures. They take these really obscure moments when God judges things in the Old Testament or even in the, in the promises of the judgments later. They take those to be some really horrible deal when the whole Scripture says the whole time before God judges anybody, He's calling, He's calling, He's calling. He's encouraging and He's begging people to come back. God's love is so big and strong that it can love anyone through any mess. Anyone through any mess. We talked about Adam last week. It's a great example. Last week we looked at Adam and Eve and how God showed tremendous amount of grace in the Garden of Eden. He could have judged him instantly. He could have instantly killed him without even revisiting the garden with him. He didn't have to come talk to Adam. He just said, you know what, you sinned, you're done. That was my rule, you're done. That's not what God did. He showed up in the garden, had a conversation with Adam to reveal to Adam, you've moved away from me, Adam. Where are you? You've moved away from me. And then in the process, he said, look, I'm going to let a seed of this woman be born that one day is going to crush the head of the serpent that started this whole mess. And God said, in the Garden of Gethsemane, there is a moment of grace, a moment of grace that's been offered up to you. So we can look at so many places in the Scriptures um, we, last week we looked at the adulterous woman in John 8. It's my favorite story in the New Testament um, where a woman caught in the very act of adultery is thrown at the feet of Jesus. The Pharisees' plan with that was to actually be able to kick Jesus out of the temple and stone her to death. It was a very dumb plan. First of all, because Jesus belongs in the temple, he's ultimately the high priest. The se second problem they have is they threw a sinner at the feet of the Redeemer. And so when, when she ends up at his feet, it's the greatest place on earth for a person caught in the very act of adultery. It's the greatest place on earth for them. 
to be at the feet of Jesus. And that's where she finds herself. And Jesus, remember, sets her free. Uh, he, sa- he, he, he says, if you're guilty of this sin, you can stone her. So all the guys with stones leave because they have sin in their life. And they walk away and it just leaves her with Jesus. And Jesus picks her up and says, where are those that would condemn you? There's no one that would condemn her. Um, Jesus had the right to condemn her, but he knows he's going to the cross to pay for her sins. So he literally sets her free. And then he gives her this commission. Remember last week? He gives her this commission. Go, sin no more. I have a plan for your life. In the Old Testament, there's uh, Rahab the harlot. She's living in sin in Jericho, which is a city full of sin, by the way. So sinful that God's sending the Israelites into to the promised land. And he says, hey, we're going to wipe out Jericho. Just march around it seven time, several times. And then seventh time, the seventh day, just shout and all the walls are coming down. And we're going to conquer Israel, conquer Jericho and destroy it. Um, so it's sin city. It's a terrible place. But she ends up befriending and helping the spies that sneak in and discover all the stuff they need to discover about the city. And she ends up helping them. Now listen to this. Rahab was a prostitute. Okay, she was a woman with a terrible life and a terrible reputation, lived in a terrible city, had done terrible things. You know who she ultimately is, though, in the lineage of the Scriptures? She's the great-great-grandmother of King David, who is in the lineage of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Rahab the harlot's life is a great example of second chances. Uh, One of my favorites, Brother Cochran and I were talking about this this morning in our prayer time. Um, is the thief on the cross. Thief on the cross. You talk about second chances. I mean, he's down to his last breath chance. He's, he's not even a good thief, and he's, he's messed up so bad that he's ticked off apparently somebody very powerful in Rome because they are crucifying a thief. And they've got him on the cross next to Jesus. And in the early part of the story, he's actually with the other thief cursing. But something changes in him. And he realizes Jesus is very different and so he just says the simple sentence. He says, would you just remember me when you come into your kingdom? And just like that, Jesus acknowledged the faith in that man's life for his kingdom, for who he was. And so Jesus says to a dying thief, it's his last few breaths, he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. You want to talk about second chances? And that guy had run the full course of his life and messed up so bad that, that Rome was going to execute him. And in his execution, he turned to Jesus. And Jesus, not being a condemning God, not being a cruel or an evil God, literally just says as Jesus is dying for that sin, all the sins of that man are on Jesus now being, being cleansed. Jesus sets him free from all of that. That doesn't sound like a cruel God to me. It sounds like a loving and an ama- amazing God. I want to show you this morning, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, I hope you have your Bibles with you. We like physical Bibles. Your electronic one works good too, but you can write in your physical Bible, so it might not be a bad idea to own one of those. Matthew chapter 9 is a great story in the New Testament of how God gives second chances. And so if you're looking in Matthew 9, this story is also recorded in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Luke. Matthew 9, verse 9 says, Jesus went from there went on from there, and that was where he had uh, lowered, uh, someone had lowered a guy down into the roof of Peter's house, and and Jesus had healed him dramatically. Um, But Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named, a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me, told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciple, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, Is it not the healthy who need a doctor, um, but the sick? Go and learn what this means. And then he quotes from the book of Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So this morning I want to give you some new lessons. We talked about some lessons last week. I want to give you four more lessons on this God of second chances. It's just ammunition for you to minister to others. It's ammunition for you to tell the people in your generation, especially this younger generation that's coming up that's somehow given God all the wrong information or wrong uh, truths. Um, I want you to see this. The first one is that God knows you personally and sees you for who you really are. God knows you and sees you for who you really are. Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. Um, he's a Jewish tax collector. Now, I just want you to get your head around this because um, that's not a good thing. Matter of fact, it may be the worst career any Jewish person could have ever chosen was to be a tax collector because that means he works for Rome, which Rome has conquered Israel, conquered the world really, and conquered Israel, and Israel's trying to have some sort of life underneath Rome that feels free to them, and it, it all comes to bear every time they have to pay their taxes, kind of like us. Every time they have to come pay their taxes, they realize, you know what? There's, I've got to pay this. And when, you, when they would go to pay their taxes, um, there would be Romans taking up their taxes, but there would also be these Jewish guys that had sold out to Rome and had committed to collecting taxes. Now, a tax collector in Jesus' day was based, especially a Jewish one, was a guy who showed up at the, the office where they were working through all this in the government at, at Rome and said, look, this little province here in Judea or Galilee or wherever he was from, he said, this little province, I will collect X amount of dollars for you, for Rome, from this province. And if he had a good contract with them, they'd sign a contract and say, all right, here's what we're expecting you to bring in from that little city. You bring that amount to us next year. And uh, so he would have to go through the city and round up that amount of money. But you know what he would do, what tax gatherers would do. They would go get extra money because they have to get paid to do their job. And if you were a criminally minded tax gatherer or just an, a greedy tax gatherer, here's what you would do. You'd just take a ton extra from everybody to pad yourself so that you have a fortune and all these Jewish people that you're forcing to give money to Rome they didn't really have to give all that money to Rome. You took a bunch of it away from them. So you talk about hated by the Jews, even hated by Rome. Rome never liked anything to do with the Jews. So a tax collector in Jesus' day would not have had any friends at all. The Romans didn't like him. The Jews really didn't like him. And then probably his best friends were other tax gatherers, tax collectors. Now what kind of characters do you think he's hanging out with? A bunch of greedy people. The only way you'd become a tax collector really a Jewish tax collector, is if nothing else in your life, you had no friend, you didn't care if your family forsook you. Matter of fact, here's the other thing. Tax collectors in Jesus' day, the Jewish ones weren't allowed near the temple. You don't come in the doors of the temple if you're a tax collector because you're not on our side and you've got too much sin and too much evil in your life. Too much sin and too much evil in your life. You know, I've had people tell me in the past they won't come to church because there's just too much sin in their life. 
said, man, I've just got to get myself right before I come to, to, uh, to meet with God. And you can just show them this story. If you have friends like that, you show them this story. Because this is completely the opposite of how that works. So here's this tax gatherer. And, and uh, he had, had literally lost all friends. And he's just, he's got to be a man full of greed. The only reason you would be a Jewish tax gatherer because you just want the money. This is, the, this is a job that I can get a lot of money with. And you had to have thugs, by the way. If you're a tax gatherer, you had to hire thugs. You had to hire the brute squad <laughs> to, to beat up people to get their taxes from them and to go door to door and, and you know, shake people till the money fell out of them and then get it, get it in your pocket so you can uh, pay what you had to and then get a whole bunch. So, but here's, look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. I want you to just look at the verse with me. And I'd love for you to mark this. It's a very significant uh, word. It says, and Jesus went on from there and he saw a man named Matthew. He saw a man named Matthew. The Greek word means he perceived all that there was about Matthew. It's not like you and I see. And I can walk by one of you and see you in the store and go, hey, I saw so-and-so at Walmart yesterday. You know, I saw Brandon at Walmart yesterday. That's great. I saw Kurt yesterday at church here helping us. You can do that all you want. But that's not how Jesus sees us. You know what Jesus can do? He can look right through you. And here's what Jesus did when he walked past Matthew. He perceived him. He knew everything in Matthew's life. All of his past sins, all of his current sins. He even knows what his future sins are going to be. He knew all of his thoughts, his evil thoughts, his good thoughts, his pure thoughts, his impure thoughts, his greed his pain from being rejected by everybody. Jesus knew everything. There's a, there's a passage in Matthew, or there's, there's a passage in uh, the Gospel of Mark, and it's also recorded in Luke, where it says uh, Jesus knew what was in the people's hearts and minds. He knows what's in your heart. Every one of you, He knows what's in your heart and in your mind, even as you're sitting right here. If you're thinking about fried chicken, and now you are, <laughs> He knows that. If you're thinking about Him... He knows that. If you're thinking about your sin, He knows that. If you're lost in, in a world of just ADHD and can't land a thought, He knows that, right? Jesus knows every bit about us. And I want you to understand, He's going to call a tax collector, a tax collector to Him. And there was a series that came out on TV a while back uh, about the Bible, and they made a movie off of it called The Son of God. And... Uh, I'm not recommending it to you at all. It's got, I'm a very particular person when it comes to being uh, scripturally accurate in those things. And they tried real hard. They, you know, I'm one of those, I watch the movie and every two minutes I'm making, going, that's not how that was in the Bible. It's not in my Bible. What Bible are they reading? <laughs> kind of thing. Okay, but there's a great scene in that movie. There's a great scene in that movie where Jesus calls the tax collector. And when he does, um, he's, they're actually going to mix two scriptures together. Uh, where Jesus teaches about tax gatherers. Um, but I just want you to see this man and realize how lost he really is. He is the most sinful of sinful people in the culture. And Jesus literally, with two words, is going to change his life. So let's watch that together. Next. Jews, 
Our own people working for Rome makes me sick. Collaborators, let's move on. A stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men. Went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other one. A tax collector. The Pharisee prayed. God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves. Adulterers. Or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector, not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humble. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. There's not a thread of good in any of them. Thomas, Jesus has not come for the good, but for the sinners. He gives people a second chance. He gives people a second chance. And Mary Magdalene goes on to say, and we should too. We believe that with all our heart at Northside. We believe that God is a God of pure grace. And he offers a second chance to everybody. And that we, as Christians, should live under that. Now, that's a beautiful scene where Jesus is literally walking through the tax collector's area, identifies him by name, and in the original text, he actually says two words to him. He calls his name, he says, Matthew, follow me. Now listen. When Matthew chose to obey that, it was a dramatic deal in his life. He literally, Luke says he walked away from everything. That's a fortune of money. It's a contract with Rome. It's all kinds of stuff that he's walking away from. But when he started walking with Jesus, his whole life, his whole life was going to be different. He abandoned himself, abandoned his own self, and to do what he needed to do. Lesson two is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. 
you've been taking notes with us this morning, Jesus is a friend of sinners. I want you to make sure you tell people that. He's not an enemy of sinners. He's not trying to crush sinners or harm sinners. He's trying so hard. By the way, He's trying through your testimony in their life, through your love for them, He's trying to show sinners that He loves them and not to be judgmental. You know, sometimes as a, as, even as Christians, we get caught up in trying to discern people's motives or understand something they, they've said to us or something that's out of line. And then all of a sudden we get all critical and negative and we, we sit in an office with a whole bunch of people that have become critical or negative somebody and we jump right in with them. And we're not receiving them as sinners that just need to be saved. We're trying to discern something and we get all caught up in ourself with it and we don't do what Jesus does, which is just take a person for... Jesus knew every bit of the filth and the dirt and the sin in Matthew's heart. But he just called him, Matthew, follow me. Follow me. And that changed his life. It changed his life. It'll change your life. If you will find a way to say, I just want to follow the Lord. Now, there's a very interesting part of this story that I want you to see. Um, when I was restudying this, Matthew, follow me. He told, and he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner, the very next thing, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Matthew, follow me. Where are we going, Jesus? Let's go to your house. <laughs> That's just awesome to me. He's like, not only does he now know his name, he knows where he lives. And he said, let's just go to your house. You follow me to your house, and we're going to have dinner together. How about that? You know, the Lord loves to dine with us. He loves to, by the way, dining with somebody in, in that culture particularly, dining with somebody in their home was a very uh, deep friendship moment. You didn't just dine with anybody back then. Most of you don't have people in your home that you don't know to have dinner with. The people you have in your home, now you might have dinner with strangers or, or co-workers or somebody um, that's kind of a distant or associate of yours um, or a business transaction. You can have dinner with them you know, at, at a restaurant. That's not a deal. But to have them in your home was a whole different deal. And in this culture, huge deal. Jesus actually has him in the culture. He has him in, he goes into his house and sits down with Matthew and all his friends. Who are his friends? Tax gatherers, more sinners, just a whole bunch of people that are reprobates. They're not strong Christian people. They're not all in there singing hymns, praising God. You know, they're not singing shout to the Lord or, you know, amazing grace or nothing. They're just a bunch of vile, filthy, bad joke telling, evil people. And Jesus goes, hey, let's go to your house. Let's go to your house. Jesus isn't afraid of sinners. He's not, re he's not repulsed by the sinners. He's repulsed by their sin because he's going to pay for it. But he's not repulsed by the sinners. He'll walk right into the middle of them and just love every one of them. He'll have them over for dinner. And he'll let you have them over for dinner and minister to them. So we've got to be careful about our mindset with that. Luke tells us that, that Matthew had left everything by then. He's actually in his home and probably uh, working out deals with other tax gatherers and say, hey, you want to sign, you want to fulfill my contract, man? You got it. You know, you just, you just sign all that off. That's good. But Jesus is partying with the wrong crowd because Matthew throws a great party in Jesus' honor filled with sinners. And there's a, there's a, there's a whole culture of us as Christians. I was taught a long time ago that we're to avoid uh, non-Christian people and stay away from them when in actuality Jesus is teaching us here we're actually to reach into their 
world and culture. Now, we have to be careful with that. We can't become sinners. We can't sin in the process of doing it. But it's okay to have fellowship and dine with people who are sinners. I was listening to a friend of mine uh, uh, who's a pastor the other day talking, and he was having lunch with somebody, um, a a non-Christian. He was reaching out to a non-Christian guy. Somebody in the church had asked him to reach out to this guy. And they they went to uh, one of the nicer restaurants, like an O'Charlie's or something, and the guy ordered this pitcher of beer um, for himself. And he knew the pastor there wasn't going to drink, but he ordered this pitcher of beer and put it on the table. You know, and the pastor thought, oh, man, if one of my people come in, I'm just done for, you know. And so he said, I'm sitting here praying the whole time, please don't let any of our congregation eat here today. But lo and behold, you know, here comes this little family that's part of their church, and they come over and they're like, hey. You know, and he said, I ordered water on purpose then, so nothing in my glass was even colored. It's white, clear, you know, the purity of Jesus in my cup kind of deal, and this guy, the sinner, you know. But it was really awesome because he said later on when that, that family saw him at church, you know, they're like, hey, we saw you were talking with so-and-so, you know, and they just want to know how he was doing spiritually. They never brought up the whole deal. You know, they just wanted to know. And that's, that's how we're supposed to be. You've got to be careful about misjudging all that. And we've got to be willing to reach into people's lives that are far from where we are. That's the people that need Jesus. They're far from God and they need to reconnect. Man, Matthew was so far from God that day. And Jesus walked by him and said, Matthew, follow me. And now he's not far from God at all. See how fast it happened? He's not far from God at all. Matter of fact, we're going to go to your house and sit down at your table and have a loving family meal because I'm not a cruel, judgmental, mean uh, Savior. I'm a loving Savior that just wants to change your whole world. So if you're a sinner today, if you're not a sinner, you need to change churches because that's all we're filled with here. Um, if you're a sinner today, and everybody in this room, the Bible says all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. Back of our bulletin, I think it still says it. Back of our bulletin says, James 3.1, we all stumble in many ways. We wanted that to be in print somewhere. So everybody that comes here and gets a piece of paper from us says, we're not a perfect church. You're never going to find a perfect church. If you do, don't join it. You'll ruin it. Okay? You can't be perfect and you can't be sinless. We're all sinners. But if you're a sinner here today... You don't need to be afraid of Jesus or God. He didn't come to ruin your life. He came to give you life and life abundant. I'm going to talk about that some next week. Jesus is not a giant killjoy. He's a life giver. I get so frustrated with people that think Jesus is just trying to ruin their life. He's not trying to ruin your life. I accepted Christ in the second grade. I trusted when I came here in the 5th and 6th grade, which was actually on the other, the other north side in Pritchard, and then when I came here later, um, and I knelt here at 17 years old and gave my life to Jesus to be a full-time servant of His, I've never had one dull, boring moment since then. I mean, it's just been crazy. I've got to do all kinds of crazy, fun stuff. I've traveled around the world for Jesus, not on my not because I'm some great person, but because Jesus said, hey, why don't you go to Romania and get to know the Romanians in the Transylvania Mountains? That'd be fun. Like, really? Sounds terrifying to me, but okay. You know? And, and I did. And 14 summers in a row, a guy who's a very homebody, you know, don't like change, don't like things upsetting my world, got on airplanes and flew for many, many, many hours and landed in Romania and, and caught buses and trains, missed buses and trains. Those were the exciting times when you go, okay, they told us to catch this train and it's gone. How do we get there now? I don't know. 23 college students with me. I don't know. 
Um, what are we going to do? I don't know. Where are we going to stay? I don't know. We don't have any money in this country. I know. <laughs> you know, we're just going to wait on somebody to show up and help us. And sure enough, you know, some angel lady from Romania just shows up and offers us her home for the night. Says, oh, that group that went to camp, they're already gone. They, they left yesterday. Yesterday? Well, that thing, <laughs> this is back before there was emails and text. We were faxing things on these old machines and stuff, and the Romanian faxes were horrible. You could hardly get some, something to come through. You could read legibly. So apparently we missed the date. But this lady said, hey, just bring all the guys in and we'll just feed you overnight and let you sleep all over my house and floor. And tomorrow we'll figure out how to get you to camp. Okay. You know, it's just a huge adventure. I've been rappelling with students. Taking rappelling mountain climbing and bounce myself over rocks, you know, 150 feet to the ground with a rope tied to a tree. You know, I mean, that's just fun. Nuts, but fun. You know, I haven't had a boring life at all. Nothing about it's boring. And then there's these insanely exciting times that happen. You know, even as I'm getting older now, don't do the crazy stuff like that. You know, we had a baptism just a few weeks ago. We had a baptism. And uh, several folks here um, got baptized. They were uh, wanting to make that commitment right. And then some of our new believers uh, were down there. And during our baptism, we had a little boy named Christian. A little boy named Christian want to get saved and baptized right there in that pond. And I want to tell you, I'm walking on cloud nine since that happened. What was that? Two two weeks ago. Two week, two Sundays ago, in the in the little funny pond that sits behind Miss Duck's old house. Those of you who've been here a long time know who that is. Okay, Miss Duck's old house. We got down in that muddy water and baptized five folks, and one of them was a little nine year old boy, brand new Christian. His name, by the way, is Christian. You need to pray for him. Um, he's one of our kids that comes with the bus sometimes when we bring him on Wednesdays, and he's in our Pioneer Club but he got saved and baptized right there. And I mean, there's nothing better in life than leading a little boy to Christ, you know, and then baptizing him in that very second. That was awesome for me. There's nothing boring about a life in Jesus. People go, well, he's going to take away all my fun. I can't do any fun things anymore. That's just not true. You got fun all messed up in your head if you think that's true. And you need to tell your friends that. Jesus is not a killjoy. Third lesson, Jesus longs for relationships. He's not seeking a list of rules or behaviors. And He's not trying to get anybody to be religious. Please understand Jesus doesn't call us to religion. He calls us to relationship. That's why He quotes Hosea. <laughs> That's why He quotes Hosea to these Pharisees who are judging Him for hanging out with sinners. And He quotes Hosea. I want you to see the whole verse. Hosea chapter 6, verse 4. says this, Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. This is God quoting... <laughs> This is quoting God, the pro God through the prophet Hosea to his people. He says, you love me like a mist, like the morning mist. It's here, it's gone. It's here, it's gone. That's how you love me. Isn't that sad? And then at the end of that's where he says, I desire mercy, love from you, not sacrifice, and an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. I would rather you show me, and, and the one translation says, I desire loving kindness. I desire you to love me Really love me. Some of you are going to get this. Those of you that do Facebook, you know what fake friends are on Facebook? <laughs> you, I don't know if you know this, but if you really want your Facebook numbers to go up, you can actually go online and for some purchase price, you can purchase a bunch of people, <laughs> group people groups that will become your friend on Facebook. You know, and so your Facebook thing can have, you know, three, I have 3,000 followers on Facebook. Whoopee-dee. Okay? But you can, you can purchase friends on Facebook or... Some of you may have friends like this on Facebook that you never, ever, 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 ever see or talk to. 
You know very little about them other than once in a while when they post, you know, something crazy on the Facebook. But they call you their friend. It's interesting to me when you add up, you go, I want to add a friend, but I really don't know them. You know, but okay, you're my friend. But I really don't know you. I've, I started thinking through that. You know, there are a lot of Christians that are Facebook friends with God. Listen. Listen carefully. There are a lot of Christians that are Facebook friends with God. They don't know Him personally. They're not intimately acquainted with Him. They're not following His daily timeline. You know what you do with your real friends on Facebook is you follow His daily timeline. You go, hey, look, their son had a fever today. We need to pray for them. Oh, look, their son, you know, finally pooped in a diaper first time. Yay. You know, that's what all people put on Facebook, all the craziest things in the world. You know, it's like, hey, look, my son threw up today. Good, take a picture, send it. You know, Instagram the picture of the vomit for us. That's awesome, you know. But when, yeah, some of our guys are doing that. It's like, woohoo, you know. And I had first day of potty training. You just watch their families grow up. And I've got a bunch of college friends in Birmingham that I ministered to for years, and I'm watching their families grow up, and it's awesome. But some of them I'm real close to. Some of them they're just distant friends. I wouldn't know them if I saw them hardly. They wouldn't know me. And we're not close friends. I'm not going to rescue them if they're having a crisis you know, right there, I'm not going to run and rescue. There are some that I would drive to Birmingham instantly to rescue, but they're not many. But you know what? Some of us as Christians, we're Facebook friends to God. We just like Him when we need Him. We like Him when we want a good story or something good's happening. You know, church is having a meal today, so don't get, don't, don't feel guilty. Okay. But we like Him on all the wrong stuff. You know, we just check like, and then we unlike Him when He starts trying to invest in our life and help us. Jesus wants real relationship. He wants people that will get up in the morning and while they're checking their Facebook, they're checking God's agenda for the day. They're reading their New Testament. They're reading their Old Testament and saying, God, what could you speak to me today from the Psalms? There's a, there's a verse in the Psalms that says this. A friend of mine texted to me this week. She's going through a horrible time. She texted me this verse. It says, God delights in me. Man, I read that verse. And I know what she's going through, so it just overwhelmed me instantly because I started thinking, well, he, he delights in me too. And I know my tax-gathering sinful heart, but He delights in me. Jesus is the friend of sinners. I want you to get that around your head. He wants real relationships. Now, this is not going to show up on the screen, but I'd love for you to write this sentence in. A pastor by the name of Buddy Owens said this. It's a paraphrase of his words. Jesus sees me as I am. Jesus calls me as I am. But Jesus won't leave me as I am. Get this. I'm going to say it to you again. Because this is exactly what happens with Matthew. Jesus sees me as I am. Jesus calls me as I am. Matthew didn't have to change. He didn't go, Matthew, I really want you to follow me, but here's what I need to do first. Go to the temple. I want you to repent of some things. I want you to give you some money back to some people. I want you to get your life right and then join up with us guys. It's not what he did. He calls you right where you are, right out of your sin, right out of the mess. And instantly, if you become a true follower, your life's very different because Jesus won't leave you. Jesus sees me as I am, calls me as I am, but he won't leave me as I am. Lesson number four, last one of the day. Jesus offers life-changing grace to every sinner you've ever met. Jesus offers life-changing grace to every sinner you've ever met. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it this way, For by grace are you saved through faith. You're saved by grace 
through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. God gave you a gift of grace. It means you can't do anything to be saved, but God does all the work for you. And He did that by sending His Son. I want you to write these next couple of things down in your notes if you're taking them. Good people don't go to heaven. Sorry, if you're a good person, that's awesome. I have people regularly tell me when I'm talking to them about their spiritual life, I'm really a good person. I go, really? It's okay, that doesn't matter at all. Because good people don't go to heaven. The Bible says there are none good. If you, if you put your standard of good, whatever that is, you put your standard of good up against the holiness and righteousness of God, not a chance, not a chance. Good people don't go to heaven because the Bible says there are none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good compared to Jesus and God, not one. I don't care how good you get. I don't care if you're Mother Teresa or Billy Graham. They aren't good people by God's standards. Good people don't go to heaven. You know who go to heaven? Bad people go to heaven. Sinners go to heaven because they trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. Forgiven people are the ones who get to go to heaven. When you trust Christ as your Savior, He forgives you. When Matthew stood up from that tax table and began following Jesus, he was instantly forgiven. Jesus forgave him of all his sins. Now, he's going to go pay for those sins on the cross. But I want you to know, Matthew got up and left everything. He abandoned his life to follow Jesus. So I'm encouraging you today to surrender and receive God's grace through the death of the cross. It's through the cross that you have new life. If your life is a mess, if you've got all kinds of challenges, if you're just going through some minor struggles that you'd like to see different, just follow those two words. Follow me. Follow Jesus. The message of Jesus today is not judgment and condemnation. His message is for your healing and for your help and for your hope. He wants to restore you and He longs to save you from your sins, to set you free. Here's the message of Christ. I love you. I accept you right where you are. I will forgive you. Follow me. Just follow. Some of you as Christians a long time ago heard that call of Christ, like the call of Matthew. You heard that call and you said, I'm going to follow. And then life got crazy or busy or things got complicated and you've fallen away. You've drifted. You've moved away. And it's just time to be recalled back to that. By the way, the Apostle Peter would be in your boat. He, there was a time when Peter, after he denied Christ three times and did not attend the crucifixion like John did, um, that he felt very distant. And in John 21, we read Peter saying these words, I'm going back to fishing. It's a, little, it's a chapter where Peter quit the following. He's like, I'm, I'm just done. I'm going to go back to fishing. Remember Jesus said, not fisher of men, not fisher of fish, but fisher of men. Peter quit in John 21, but you know what Jesus did? He went back out on the seashore with him, cooked breakfast for him, helped him catch some fish, and then he brought him to the seashore. And, he, and when you read the end of that chapter, here's what Jesus says to Peter. Peter, follow me. It was a recall. <laughs> Peter was recalled. So you should. Some of you may need to be recalled today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads.